Good morning, I'm Clark Zonbreaker. I get to serve as the Director of Ministry here at Antioch Brighton. And I have the pleasure of sharing God's Word this morning. Um, I couldn't resist being outside because it's so beautiful today. And so I hope that the sounds of nature and civilization aren't a distraction for you or for me. Um, and I did learn just a few minutes ago that uh, Watertown High School uh, senior graduates are celebrating by driving through town honking their horns. And so if you hear some horns honking, just take a moment to celebrate with those graduating seniors. Um, I want to begin this morning with a question. Have you ever been abandoned by a friend? So someone who is close to you, someone you relied on, uh, for whatever reason, they broke ties with you. I'm sure we all have these experiences, um, unfortunately. And often what makes these, these experiences difficult, even more difficult, is the fact that, that they, aren't, they often aren't accompanied by good closure. Um, there's often this is done out of self-protection. Someone determines that association with another person or friendship with another person is, is too costly. And the, the easiest solution is just a clean, quick break, just to cut that relationship off. Unfortunately, this is such a common experience, there's actually a term for it. And many of you are, are familiar with the term. It's a, I'm referring to ghosting. And the passage we're going to look at this morning actually uh, describes the time in Paul's life when he had been ghosted by many of his close companions. So this is week two of our summer series in 2 Timothy. It's called Fight the Good Fight. And John Lux introduced the series last week. And, and John uh, shared with us how Paul's writing this letter to Timothy from a Roman prison. And as if prison wasn't bad enough, uh, Paul had also been abandoned by many of his friends, many of his companions. And in this letter to Timothy, he even uh, names a, f a handful of them by name. This person abandoned me. That person abandoned me. And matter of fact, in verse 15 of the, of the first chapter, Paul says, all who are in Asia turned away from me. Now, certainly Paul is, is using hyperbole there. He's exaggerating. But, but that's the way it felt to Paul, that, that all, everyone, all of his companions in, in Asia had turned their backs on him when he was in prison. So 2 Corinthians 2, you're, you're, you might be familiar with this passage where Paul likens his ministry of preaching the gospel. He likens it to spreading this, this fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere he goes. And, and he says that to those whose hearts are open to the message that this fragrance is this beautiful, life-giving fragrance, but to those who are resistant to this message, that it was a, a fragrance of death. It was a putrid aroma. Well, at the time of Paul's writing this letter, his ministry had become such a stench in the nostrils of Rome that he had been placed in prison. And incidentally, many of Paul's companions came to the decision that it was too costly to be associated with Paul. And out of self-protection, they distanced themselves from him but as we know, it really wasn't Paul that they were distancing themselves from. It was the gospel. But Paul's refusal to distance himself from Jesus and the gospel resulted in them, his companions, distancing themselves from him. So in this letter, 2 Timothy, Paul is turning to one of his most trusted companions. 
one he even considered to be his son, and he implores him in, the, in this environment where association with Paul, and more importantly, the gospel, in this environment, the association was so costly that Paul is imploring his son in the faith, and he says, in this time of pressure, Timothy, don't ghost the gospel. Let's take a closer look at our passage this morning. So, but I want you to imagine Paul sitting in a Roman prison, abandoned by his companions, whose faith unfortunately had proven to be less sincere than he had originally hoped. And, and in this context, he's reminded of his faithful son, Timothy. And he writes to Timothy and he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So Paul's saying, in a sense, he's saying, Timothy, I'm thinking about you right now. And, and I'm, I'm reminded of how, Timothy, you are the real deal. Your faith is genuine. He goes on to say, for this reason, because I know you're the real deal, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost. Pentecost we celebrate as the inauguration of the church. When the, the disciples were, were baptized in the power and in the person of the Holy Spirit. And just like you, just like me, Timothy wasn't there on that day of Pentecost. But it doesn't matter because just like us, he had his own personal day of Pentecost when he believed on Jesus. And, and Paul actually was there when it happened. And Paul uh, had laid his hands on Timothy and, and Paul, and, and in that, Timothy received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So God's gift to Timothy is likened in this, this uh, verse as, as an ember that requires Timothy's fanning in order for it to reach its fullness, in order for it to reach uh, a state of being a raging fire. So we see here in this passage a, a point that, that, that I see in a number of places in Scripture, and even in my own experiences, is that often when God gives a gift, He gives it in seed form. Initially, it, it, it may feel like the whole thing. It may feel like the, the, the whole tree, but, but sometime later we realize, well, it's, it's more of a seed. So you may think of a time where, first time where you, you encountered the presence of God and you're filled with the Spirit, and maybe three weeks later or so you were kind of left wondering, what happened? I, I thought I had it. It's I've leaked or something. So, you know, the, this this gift may be a spiritual gift. It may be a calling, a glimpse of a a, a, a future that God has for you. Um, or like it is it as it is in this passage. It's Paul's referring to the general activity of the Spirit in Timothy's life. And so, just to be clear, I'm not saying that when we receive the Spirit that we're receiving just a part. No, we receive the fullness of the Spirit. We receive all that there is to give of the Spirit. But, but when it comes to the activity of the Spirit in our lives, the, the operation of the Spirit, the, the, the Holy Spirit taking uh, over the entirety of our lives, that usually it, it comes in seed form and it requires our part, our participation for that to increase and grow. So Paul goes on to say that the Spirit, the gift referred to in the last verse, that when when Timothy fans it into flame, it, it's going to produce 
an increase of love, of power, and of self-discipline in Timothy. And the reason Paul is saying this is because these are the very things that Timothy would need to fight the good fight and not succumb to the same temptation to ghost the gospel that so many of Paul's companions had succumbed to. So Paul goes on to say, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, i.e. the gospel, or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So Paul is saying, in essence, Timothy, don't ghost the gospel, but stand with me and suffer with me. He's saying, bear the stigma and the mistreatment that goes along with remaining associated with the gospel in this day and in this environment. Now, Paul realizes that this request is, is a big request. It's a tall order. And he understands that the only way Timothy will be able to do this is, is by the power of God. In other words, the power that Paul mentions in verse 7 when he says, here we go. Congratulations! So this power that, that the power, the love, and the, the self-discipline the self, uh, that Paul refers to in verse 7 is the power of God that, that will result from the fanning of verse 6 is what's going to give Timothy staying power in his life. And so Paul goes on to take a moment in verse 9 and 10 to summarize the gospel of God's grace. But then he goes on in verse 11 and he says, Of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and that is why I'm suffering as I am. So Paul is saying that he was appointed to carry and bear witness to this gospel, and, and it's actually his refusal to abandon and disassociate with this gospel. That is the very reason for his suffering, and that's why he's in prison. But look what he goes on to say. Paul says, yet this is no cause for shame. Unlike the others who had drawn back because of the stigma of being associated with it. Paul's saying, I've not drawn back. And this is why. And Paul says, listen, it's because I know whom I've believed. It's such a beautiful statement. So Paul's saying that when times got tough, his staying power, his ability to remain associated with Jesus and, and associated with the gospel was because of his relationship with Jesus. It's because he knew the one in whom he believed. And I believe this verse gives us insight into what Paul means when he tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God. What does it look like to fan the flame of the gift of God? Here's what it doesn't look like. It doesn't mean that, that we engage in a bunch of religious activity. We complete a certain number of prayer reps we skip a certain number of meals. No, it's not about engaging in religious activities, it's, but it is about engaging in relational activity. It looks like pressing into our relationship with Jesus, pressing into our relationship with the Father. And, and there are many ways that this can look. There are books, lots of ink has been spent on this topic. And a term that, that often is used to describe these relational activities is spiritual disciplines. I want to focus on one of these spiritual disciplines, one of these relational activities that, that I believe is set forth in Scripture as the primary relational activity. <clears throat> and this is, I believe, the primary one that the early church gave themselves to. 
So we're going to look back at Acts 2, the passage we considered when we were celebrating Pentecost a few weeks ago. So after Pentecost in chapter 2, when the, the church was filled with the Spirit, a couple of chapters later, Acts 4, they were gathered for corporate prayer. And what they were doing they were in, in corporate prayer, they were engaging in a relational activity. They are pressing into the Father. And what they were doing is they were fanning into flame the gift that they had received weeks, days, I'm not sure before, at Pentecost. They're pouring their hearts out to God. And, and if you read their, their prayer, you see they weren't just pouring out their thoughts or their complaints, but they were actually, they were, they were praying prayers. They were engaging with God through his word. They were praying scripture-infused prayer. And, and it says that when they were done, that they were filled with the Spirit again. You see that they had received this raging fire on Pentecost, and it had kind of dwindled down to embers. And yet, on this day, they were gathered again praying, and they were fanning these embers back into flame once again. So one of the primary ways we fan into flame the Spirit's work in our lives is, is through engaging with God in the relational activity of Scripture-infused prayer, whether it's private or corporate. So... I'm just going to make a, a plug for, for something that, that, that happens that I so appreciate. And it's these Antioch, New England daily virtual prayer times. And so if you've never been to one of the 15 weekly virtual prayer meetings, or if it's been a while since you've been, I want to encourage you to find some time this week to attend one of them. And I believe that you're going to find that as a result of engaging with God in this environment, in this relational activity of, of scripture-infused prayer, you're going to find the Spirit's activity increasing in your life. And, and, but best of all, you're going to, like Paul, you're going to come to know the one even better, the one whom you have believed. And this knowing is going to be what empowers you to stay with Jesus and his gospel. When it becomes costly. So what is this letter written 2,000 years ago? How does it relate to us today? Um, well, I think it relates to us in a, it's incredibly relatable. So we're living in a challenging, but really incredible time. So the time that we're in today is it's rife with opportunity to see some pretty incredible societal changes that, that are going to reflect God's heart and reflect God's kingdom. By God's grace, things that have long been hidden in the heart of man, things that have been hidden in my heart, things that have been hidden in, in the structure of our society, things that have caused dishonor and pain to our black brothers and sisters, these things are being exposed, and by the grace of God, they're going to be dealt with. And there's a lot of voices right now a lot of strong voices, loud voices on either side, either side. And, and these voices are all saying, this is the way forward. This is the way. Walk in it. And depending on where you are, where your relationships are, there could be a great cost to you socially, whether it's with your friends, your family, extended family members, your coworkers, social media followers. If you don't agree and march in lockstep, with those voices. There could be a cost to you 
Then there's another voice. And it's saying, this is the way, walk in it. And it's the voice of God expressed in the gospel of, of truth, justice, humility, and love. And, and it's upon us to, to dive deep and discern from the Lord what it means to march in lockstep with him in this season. So, but this, this comes with a warning because as we do this, as we, as, we, as we march in lockstep with the Lord in the gospel, it's, there's going to be a fragrance that's released. And to some, it's, it's going to be the aroma of, of life. It's going to be beautiful. But to others, it's going to be a stench. And the question for each of us is, when that happens, are we going to ghost the gospel? What would it look like for you to ghost the gospel? What? This is what I think it would look like for me. To ghost the gospel in this day, it, it would be to, to march in lockstep with the voice in society that is saying, you know what, I don't have a problem. As a, as a white man, I, the problem's not in me. It's, I'm, I, I'm not... I'm not a racist. I, I, I don't do. I haven't done the, these horrible things that the other these other racists have done. And there's nothing in me that needs to change. I'm just going to stand on the sideline and I'm going to root for societal change and I'm going to celebrate when it happens. For me to do that would be to ignore the gospel's call to humility and to truth and to conviction. No, the gospel is calling me to look deeply in my heart, to, to allow God to search my heart and pierce and, and uncover things that I've been long unaware of. That's what I'm committed to. And so what about you? Have you experienced the temptation to go to the gospel? What would that even look like for you in this season? So that's, the, that's what I believe we're being called to. And so in summary... If we aren't going to ghost the gospel in this season as God's church, we need to fan the flame. We need to fan the flame, uh, fan into flame the Spirit's presence and activity in our lives. And there's no better place to start than engaging with God in the relational activity of prayer. So if you would like to respond to this message with others or to pray for others or to be prayed for by others in a small group, I want to invite you to join us back at the call at 11.45 a.m. Okay. Bless you, Annie Brighton.